Section 18 The Private Memoirs and Confessions of a Sinner Written by himself by James Hogg This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The next morning, my illustrious friend met me at an early hour, and he was greatly overjoyed at hearing my sentiments now chime so much in unison with his own. I said, I longed for the day and the hour that I might look my brother in the face at Gilgal and visit on him the inequity of his father and himself. For that, I was now strengthened and prepared for the deed. I have been watching the steps and movements of the profligate one, said he, and lo, I will take you straight to his presence. Let your heart be as the heart of the lion, and your arms strong as the shekels of brass, and swift to avenge as the bolt that descendeth from heaven. For the blood of the just and the good hath long flowed in Scotland. But already is the day of their avengement begun. The hero is at length arisen who shall send all such as bear enmity to the true church, or trust in works of their own. To Tophet! Thus encouraged, I followed my friend who led me directly to the same court in which I had chastised the miscreant on the foregoing day. And behold, there was the same group again assembled. They eyed me with terror in their looks as I walked among them and eyed them with looks of disappropriation and rebuke. And I saw that the very eye of a chosen one lifted on these children of Bilal was sufficient to dismay and put them to flight. I walked aside to my friend, who stood at a distance looking on, and he said to me, What thinkest thou now? And I answered in the words of the venial prophet, Lo now, if I had a sword into mine hand, I would even kill him. Wherefore lackest thou it? said he. Dost thou not see that they tremble at thy presence, knowing that the avenger of blood is among them? My heart was lifted up on hearing this, and again I strode into the midst of them, and eyeing them with threatening looks. They were so much confounded that they abandoned their sinful pastime and fled every one to his house. This was a palpable victory gained over the wicked, and I thereby knew that the hand of the Lord was with me. My companion also exulted and said, Did not I tell thee? Behold, thou dost not know one half of thy might or of the great things thou art destined to do. Come with me, and I will show thee more than this, for these young men cannot subsist without the exercises of sin. I listened to their counsels, 
and I know where they will meet again. Accordingly, he led me a little farther to the south, and we walked aside till by degrees we saw some people begin to assemble. And in a short time we perceived the same group stripping off their clothes to make them more expert in the practice of madness and folly. Their game was begun before we approached, and so also were the oaths and cursing. I put my hands in my pockets and walked with dignity and energy into the midst of them. It was enough. Terror and astonishment seized them. A few of them cried out against me, but their voices were soon hushed amid the murmurs of fear. One of them, in the name of the rest, then came and besought of me to grant them liberty to amuse themselves. But I refused peremptorily, dared the whole multitude so much as to touch me with one of their fingers, and dismissed them in the name of the Lord. Again, they all fled and dispersed at my eye, and I went home in triumph, escorted by my friend and some well-meaning young Christians, who, however, had not learned to deport themselves with soberness and humility. But my ascendancy over my enemies was great indeed, for wherever I appeared I was hailed with approbation, and wherever my guilty brother made his appearance, he was hooted and held in derision, till he was forced to hide his disgraceful head and appear no more in public. Immediately after this I was seized with a strange distemper, which neither my friends nor physicians could comprehend, and it confined me to my chamber for many days. But I knew myself that I was bewitched, and suspected my father's reputed concubine of the deed. I told my fears to my reverend protector, who hesitated concerning them, but I knew by his words and looks that he was conscious I was right. I generally conceived myself to be two people. When I lay in bed, I deemed there were two of us in it. When I sat up, I always beheld another person, and always in the same position from the place where I sat or stood, which was about three paces off me towards my left side. It mattered not how many or how few were present. This, my second self, was sure to be present in his place, and this occasioned a confusion in all my words and ideas that utterly astounded my friends, who all declared that, instead of being deranged in my intellect, they had never heard my conversation manifest so much energy or sublimity of conception. But for all that, over the singular delusion that I was two persons, my reasoning faculties had no power. The most perverse part of it was that I rarely conceived myself to be any of the two persons. I thought, for the most part, that my companion was one of them, and my brother the other, and I found that, 
to be obliged to speak and answer in the character of another man was a most awkward business at the long run. Who can doubt from this statement that I was bewitched and that my relatives were at the ground of it? The constant and unnatural persuasion that I was my brother proved it to my own satisfaction, and must, I think, do so to every unprejudiced person. This victory of the wicked one over me kept me confined in my chamber at Mr. Miller's house for nearly a month, until the prayers of the faithful prevailed, and I was restored. I knew it was a chastisement for my pride, because my heart was lifted up at my superiority over the enemies of the church. Nevertheless, I determined to make short work with the aggressor, that the righteous might not be subjected to the effect of his diabolical arts again. I say I was confined a month. I beg he that readeth to take note of this that he may estimate how much the word, or even the oath, of a wicked man is to depend on. For a month I saw no one but such as came into my room, and for all that it will be seen that there were plenty of the same set to attest upon oath that I saw my brother every day during this period, that I persecuted him with my presence day and night, while all the time I never saw his face save in a delusive dream. I cannot comprehend what maneuvers my illustrious friend was playing off with them about this time, for he, having the art of personating whom he chose, had peradventure deceived them, else many of them had never all attested the same thing. I never saw any man so steady in his friendships and attentions as he, but as he made a rule of never calling at private houses, for fear of some discovery being made of his person, so I never saw him while my malady lasted. But as soon as I grew better, I knew I had nothing ado but to attend at some of our places of meeting to see him again. He was punctual, as usual, and I had not to wait. My reception was precisely as I apprehended. There was no flaring, no flummery, nor bombastical pretensions, but a dignified return to my obeisance, and an immediate recurrence, in converse, to the important duties incumbent on us, in our stations as reformers and purifiers of the Church. I have marked out a number of most dangerous characters in this city, said he, all of whom must be cut off from cumbering the true vineyard before we leave this land. And, if you bestir not yourself in the work to which you are called, I must raise up others who shall have the honor of it. I am, most illustrious prince, wholly at your service, said I. Show but what ought to be done, and here is the heart to dare and the hand to execute. You pointed out my relations, according to the flesh, 
as brands fitted to be thrown into the burning. I approve peremptorily of the award. Nay, I thirst to accomplish it, for I myself have suffered severely from their diabolical arts. When once that trial of my devotion to the faith is accomplished, then be your future operations disclosed. You are free of your words and promises, said he. So will I be of my deeds in the service of my master, and that shalt thou see, said I. I lack not the spirit, nor the will, but I lack experience woefully, and because of that shortcoming, must bow to your suggestions. Meet me here tomorrow bedtimes, said he, and perhaps you may hear of some opportunity of displaying your zeal in the cause of righteousness. I met him as he desired me, and he addressed me with a hurried and joyful expression, telling me that my brother was astir, and that a few minutes ago he had seen him pass on his way to the mountain. The hill is wrapped in a cloud, added he, and never was there such an opportunity of executing divine justice on a guilty sinner. You may trace him in the dew, and shall infallibly find him on the top of some precipice, for it is only in secret that he dares show his debased head to the sun. I have no arms, else assuredly I would pursue him and discomfit him, said I. Here is a small dagger, said he. I have nothing of weapon kind about me save that, but it is a potent one, and should you require it, there is nothing more ready or sure. Will you not accompany me? said I. Sure you will. I will be with you or near you, said he. Go you on before. I hurried away as he directed me and imprudently asked some of Queensberry's guards if such and such a young man passed by them going out from the city. I was answered in the affirmative, and till then had doubted of my friend's intelligence. It was so inconsistent with a profligate's life to be so early astir. When I got the certain intelligence that my brother was before me, I fell a-running scarcely knowing what I did, and looking several times behind me, I perceived nothing of my zealous and arbitrary friend. The consequence of this was that, by the time I reached St. Anthony's Well, my resolution began to give way. It was not my courage, for now that I had once shed blood in the cause of the true faith, I was exceedingly bold and ardent. But whenever I was left to myself, I was subject to sinful doubtings. These always hankered on one point. I doubted if the elect were infallible, and if the scripture promises to them were binding in all situations and relations, I confess this and that it was a sinful and shameful weakness in me. But my nature was subject to it, and I could not eschew it. 
I never doubted that I was one of the elect myself. For besides the strong inward and spiritual conviction that I possessed, I had my kind father's assurance, and these had been revealed to him in that way and measure that they could not be doubted. In this desponding state, I sat myself down on a stone and bethought me of the rashness of my undertaking. I tried to ascertain to my own satisfaction whether or not I really had been commissioned of God to perpetrate these crimes in his behalf. For in the eyes and by the laws of men, they were great and crying transgressions. While I sat pondering on these things, I was involved in a veil of white misty vapor, and looking up to heaven, I was just about to ask direction from above, when I heard, as it were a still small voice close by me, which uttered some words of derision and chiding. I looked intensely in the direction whence it seemed to come, and perceived a lady robed in white, who hastened towards me. She regarded me with a severity of look and gesture that appalled me so much I could not address her. But she waited not for that, but coming close to my side, said, without stopping, Preposterous wretch! How dare you lift your eyes to heaven with such purposes in your heart? Escape homewards and save your soul, or farewell forever. These were all the words that she uttered, as far as I could ever recollect. But my spirits were kept in such a tumult that morning that something might have escaped me. I followed her eagerly with my eyes, but in a moment she glided over the rocks above the holy well and vanished. I persuaded myself that I had seen a vision and that the radiant being that had addressed me was one of the good angels or guardian spirits commissioned by the Almighty to watch over the steps of the just. My first impulse was to follow her advice and make my escape home, for I thought to myself, how is this interested and mysterious foreigner a proper judge of the actions of a free Christian? The thought was hardly framed, nor had I moved in a retrograde direction six steps when I saw my illustrious friend and great adviser descending the ridge towards me with hasty and impassioned strides. My heart fainted within me, and when he came up and addressed me, I looked as one caught in a trespass. What hath detained thee, thou desponding trifler? said he. Verily now shall the golden opportunity be lost, which may never be recalled. I have traced the reprobate to his sanctuary in the cloud, and lo, he is perched on the pinnacle of a precipice an hundred fathoms high. One catch with thy foot, or toss with thy finger, shall throw him from the sight into the foldings of the cloud, and he shall be no more seen till found at the bottom of the cliff dashed to pieces.
Make haste, therefore, thou loiterer, if thou wouldest ever prosper and rise to eminence in the work of the Lord and Master. I go no farther in this work, said I, for I have seen a vision that has reprimanded the deed. A vision, said he. Was it that wench who descended from the hill? The being that spake to me and warned me of my danger was indeed in the form of a lady, said I. She also approached me and said a few words, returned he, and I thought there was something mysterious in her manner. Pray, what did she say? For the words of such a singular message and from such a messenger ought to be attended to. If I understood her all right, she was chiding us for our misbelief and preposterous delay. I recited her words, but he answered that I had been in a state of sinful doubting at the time, and it was to these doubtings she had adverted. In short, this wonderful and clear-sighted stranger soon banished all my doubts and despondency, making me utterly ashamed of them. And again I set out with him in the pursuit of my brother. He showed me the traces of his footsteps in the dew, and pointed out the spot where I should find him. You have nothing more to do than go softly down behind him, said he, which you can do to within an ell of him without being seen. Then rush upon him and throw him from his seat where there is neither footing nor hold. I will go, meanwhile, and amuse his sight by some exhibition in the contrary direction, and he shall neither know nor perceive who had done him this kind office. For exclusive or more weighty concerns, be assured of this that, the sooner he falls, the fewer crimes will he have to answer for, and his estate in the other world will be proportionately more tolerable than if he spent a long, unregenerated life steeped in inequity to the loathing of the soul. Nothing could be more plain or more pertinent, said I. Therefore I fly to perform that which is both a duty towards God and towards man. You shall yet rise to great honor and preferment, said he. I value it not, provided I do honor and justice to the cause of my master here, said I. You shall be lord of your father's riches and demisness, added he. I disclaim and deride every selfish motive thereto relating, said I, further than as it enables me to do good. Aye, but that is a great and heavenly consideration, that longing for ability to do good, said he. And as he said so, I could not help remarking a certain derisive exaltation of expression which I could not comprehend. And indeed, I have noted this very often in my illustrious friend, and sometimes mentioned it civilly to him but he has never failed to disclaim it. On this occasion, I said nothing, but concealing his ponard in my clothes, I hastened up the mountain, 
determined to execute my purpose before any misgivings should again visit me. And I never had more ado than in keeping firm my resolution. I could not help my thoughts, and there are certain trains and classes of thoughts that have great power in enervating the mind. I thought of the awful thing of plunging a fellow creature from the top of a cliff into the dark and misty void below, of his being dashed to pieces on the protruding rocks, and of hearing his shrieks as he descended the cloud, and beheld the shagged points on which he was to alight. Then I thought of plunging a soul so abruptly into hell, or, at the best, sending it to hover on the confines of that burning abyss, of its appearance at the bar of the Almighty to receive its sentence. And then I thought, will there not be a sentence pronounced against me there? by a jury of the just made perfect, and written down in the registers of heaven. End of section 18